Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Apparently there's a storm brewing today. There were really dramatic red skies this morning. I've had a look at the forecast and this afternoon there's going to be some winds. One of those things that it's very enjoyable if you're indoors but you don't want to be out at sea. It seems like the dog can sense it too. She's really tipped over about the whole thing. She just seems very timid. You wonder if they feel the changes in air pressure more than we do. So I'm getting ready to batten down the hatches. I wonder if my Christmas lights will fall over. I suppose at least they'll take themselves down, right? (laughs) The lazy person's way to get the Christmas lights down. But we're out enjoying the scenery while we can. I remember once taking my son to the woods just as a storm was coming up. I hadn't realised... And as we got between the trees, you could really feel the wind shaking them. And then they started creaking in this really worrying way. I've never heard that before. It was really obvious that something other or other was going to come down. (laughs) And so I said, right, we've got to get straight out of here. (laughs) That's it. We're going. It was really scary. Anyway, don't go into the woods when it's blowing a gale kids that's fairly obvious advice I know you come to me for these nuggets of wisdom so good to get out today I felt like I really needed it everything feels really chaotic and disrupted you get to this point in winter and everything feels kind of stale and dirty Even I get ready for the sun to come back a little bit. 
I'm always busy lighting candles to fight against the gloom. It's worth it. It makes a difference. We make what difference we can. So I'm really excited to welcome the poet Maggie Smith onto my podcast this week. She's the author of one of my favourite poems, and I'm sure many of you will feel the same, which is called Good Bones. If you've never read it, Google it. It has a way of speaking to everyone about how we confront a world that's full of terrible things and still feel hope. I don't think many people can balance that in the way she does. So I was thrilled when she said yes. And I wanted to talk about her book, Keep Moving, as well, which has been so helpful to so many people going through big changes in their life. And to get a chance to explore her new collection, Goldenrod, which, again, is full of dark beauty. Anyway, I know you'll enjoy hearing from her. And I'll see you again after the podcast. Welcome, Maggie Smith. I am so thrilled to have you on the Wintering Sessions. And I'm, well, I'm a really big fan of yours anyway, but I'm really looking forward to talking to you about the ways you've dealt with the darker side of life. And I, it comes up so consistently in your work, but it's balanced with hope all the time, I think. Is that true to say? I think so. I mean, I, I try, right? We try. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I find, you know, one of the, the sort of key ways I process the sort of harder, darker, colder side of things is by writing. You get that. Uh, and so yeah. part of, and I think as a poet, metaphor is the place I naturally mm. go. And so I find myself in difficult times, and I, I do this a lot in, in Keep Moving, looking for metaphors that help me see perhaps how temporary this situation is, or maybe help me, um, metaphors that might help me reframe it mm. for myself as, okay, it looks like this, sure, but also maybe it could be this other thing. Maybe I could yeah. look at it from this other angle. And I find that to be super useful to me. Like how do you switch perspective? And I, yeah. I think, you know, you look for like the concrete, like it, it, what is this thing that I can use to understand this other thing? I, that's, I mean, that for me is like a real pleasure of being a writer that you get to go seeking those artifacts that help you to understand yeah, it's like it's it's sort of like an imagistic shorthand for <laughs> experience, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's like experience feels so big and amorphous and abstract. And so mm. to be able to say, but it's like this. Yeah. Um yeah. and to have something concrete and and like relatively small and sort of contained and mm. to sort of compare it to, I, it makes it feel more manageable and more understandable to me. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think also you then pass that image on to other people and you watch it light up in their mind as well. I, I think that's just such a nice exchange of gifts in a way. It keeps that, well, that flow, that keeping moving that you talk about. It's that that kind of circulation of, of ideas that we can pass on to other people. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it, it, sometimes it seems very specific to me. I'm having an experience and I write I write something down that's an image or, or a metaphor or something, and and I have this really particular association with it. And then I, I put it in a poem or an essay, and then other people reach out and say, oh, this absolutely reminds me of this one time, or this was exactly mm. what I needed to read, or this, this is exactly the way I was feeling, but I hadn't quite articulated it for myself yeah. yet. And that... I mean, the idea that these really, really specific things can at the same time be somewhat universal or mm. or at least portable in ways yeah. that you can pass them on to others. Uh, I find that magical because that's what I get from 
from reading too. It's like, oh, I feel like someone wrote that just for me. And I know they didn't, but it still feels that way in the moment. And what kind of reading do you tend to turn to in darker times? Is there something that you reach for particularly? You know, I I tend to read mostly um, poetry mm. and then sh- like right behind that memoir and um, and essays and then behind that fiction. So I think my reading is actually opposite to most at least Americans which right. is most people read novels is like yes. the sort of, and then maybe they read some nonfiction or some essays or memoir. And then last is poetry and perhaps only when assigned or on a greeting card. Mm. Um, and so I kind of read in reverse and, and poetry t- for me is, is always the go-to. I love being able to dip in to a yeah. book and I can keep it on my bedside table or I have stacks of them just all over my house And I can pick the thing up and flip to any page and find some incredible marvel. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's just like this little gem. And if I don't have more than five minutes, I can shut the book and carry Mm. that with me for the rest of the day. And I don't have to remember, where was I in that novel? Um, It's so portable. What's happening? (laughs) It is. It really is. But actually, and I, I think there's a sense with poetry that you almost don't want to read more than one or two poems at a time. It actually begins to degrade the experience. You actually want to just keep that very intense, singular relationship with one poem. I like A long time ago, I was researching a book that never got published and I got to interview an art historian about what you should do when you go into a gallery, like what were the steps oh. you should take to understand the work? And he said to me... What people don't understand is that you should never try and see the whole gallery. You should see like a maximum of five paintings in it and spend some time with them. And then after that, you're exhausted. So so go and have a cup of tea and and have a look in the gift shop and you're done. And I thought that was so wise because actually it's often our insecurity that leads us to, you know, try and look at every single painting in every single room. And I I actually begin to think that's true for poetry too. Like we, we need to have the confidence as readers to have that encounter with one or two or three rather than trying to galump the whole book down like we might do with a, a novel. I love that. I mean, it's it's a savouring mm. kind of experience, I think. And, and I think poems are built to be savoured. They're mm. not really built to be skimmed, you know, even though they're, sh- they're often short and they, yeah. they perhaps could be. I think of every poem as an invitation to really spend a lot of time with that poem. I, I actually have a friend mm. who who has a practice where every month she reads the same poem every morning. Oh, and so, wow. and so she just says, this is the month of this poem. And then she reads it every day and every day it's, it's a different poem because wow. you're different, right? The day is different. Yeah. The weather's different. Your stress level's different. You're bringing different things to the page. It's offering you different things that maybe you didn't see in your previous 28 readings and i and and i love that idea of the going into a gallery you know really savoring a few paintings or or mm. you know photographs or sculptures and and maybe going back and spending more time with those pieces because you're bringing you're bringing a different version of yourself to that piece yeah. of art every time you go back to it um, you know, part of what he said to me was that means that you need to spend some time before your visit thinking about your visit too. You know, like what what is it that you want to see? What is it that you want to have a relationship with today? And yeah, I, it's really changed the way I go to galleries and I've I've stopped punishing myself for getting jaded halfway around. I mean, which yeah. we all do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and sort of like drinking a few deeply rather than just having little tiny hummingbird Mm. sips at every single piece of art and then leaving and being like I don't actually remember anything about that it was just sort of a blur because I didn't actually spend a significant amount of time processing any of those any of those things yeah Yeah. it's a lesson for life as as is everything yeah so there's a metaphor (laughs) in everything as my kids say we know we know mom it's a metaphor I mean every time I try to say something they're like we know we know you're gonna give us a metaphor we get it like okay whatever that's because they're everywhere it's not my fault (laughs) Mm, yeah I mean I think 
the gift of finding metaphors is not one that should be suppressed. Um, Thank you. I'm going to write that down and I'll and put it on a small calling card, which I will hand to them whenever they complain. Tattoo it. Yes, <laughs> like, indeed. Look, look at the tattoo, kids. <laughs> So I wanted to talk a bit about your collection, Goldenrod, which came out earlier this year. Is it earlier this year in America as well as the UK or is that just yes, here? Yes, July. Yeah, yes. July. Um, congratulations on it. It's it's wonderful. And it's got some of your, like your customary refusal to look away from the dark parts of life. It's like you seem to be a person who has to stare into the darkness rather than try and avoid it. Um, and I, I I sort of noticed that you talked a lot about America, actually. And mm. what is it? What is this country that you live in? And what's it become in these troubled times? I, I guess that's at the front of a lot of people's minds at the moment. It is. It is. And it's, it's, it's actually sort of interesting. I've never really written so directly about um, what people might call political issues, but I don't actually see them as political. I just see them as sort of like, I'm a human being living in this place and seeing these things happen around me. And as yeah. a mother and as a citizen and as a writer, I don't, I don't know how to not confront some of those things anymore. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, something happened, you know, in the past five or six years in this country that sort of made it impossible for me to just write about trees. Right. Um, I just, yeah. I felt like uh, if I'm writing from my life, so much of what I'm trying to process is not just domestic as in, in my home or mm. in my community. It's so much bigger. Like we're feeling the ripples of these bigger things. And yet for all of the, the strife and, and sort of horror of the past, you know, five or six years in the United States, it's, it's not really new. <laughs> um, no, it's not. No. And so to say, well, suddenly this country is a really dangerous place if you're a person of color. Or suddenly this country is a really dangerous place if you're a woman um, of childbearing age or it's a dangerous mm. place if you're a child of color. It's a dangerous place if you're a school child of any color. Um, it's not necessarily true because it's always been yeah. uh, an unsafe place for plenty of reasons yeah um, uh, we've, we've kind of lost the luxury of looking away I guess yes we have I think we yeah. have yeah you are, I again I noted down a quote uh, from you that was America you are grand in theory poor in practice <laughs> yeah right I mean not what I learned in school and I think you know growing up in a, in a public school system where we said the pledge of allegiance every morning yeah. Um, and, you know, stood with our hands over our hearts and and the way that we were taught, you know, the Thanksgiving story and right. um, the founding of this country and the Civil War. Uh, I mean, just everything we've been taught, looking back on it now and thinking, wow, we sure spackled over a lot, didn't we? <laughs> um, and and yeah. how now as a parent are my kids being taught and what has changed and yet what really hasn't changed and how and has that changed it, you know in some ways it hasn't in other ways unfortunately it really hasn't I mean mm. it's there's still a lot of um I, I think we like to think of ourselves as the good guys yeah yeah and well, I, I mean, mean I live in Columbus Ohio which is named after <laughs> Christopher Columbus <laughs> yeah. so even going back to that story I mean I think we just really want to think of ourselves as being like you know, freedom and equality and democracy and fairness. And those are all great mm. things in theory, but how are those things being implemented and how were they being implemented all along and, and who gets them? Yeah, because they're not resources freely distributed among people. Yeah. And, you know, we're going through a similar thing. I mean, but in a, in a slightly different way in that our reckoning is with like this this narrative of empire that we yeah. have all been brought up with and about, you know, the way we were told that things were heroic and adventuring and exciting and that we brought civilization to to these countries. I mean, that is 
unfortunately, what we were told when when we were at school, I mean, what we did learn about was your history of slavery, you know. So we looked at other countries in a very critical way, but we didn't look at our own. You know, there's huge gaps in all of our knowledge and it's, it's painful. I mean, I think it's more painful for some people than others. I think there are some people clinging very, very hard to those you know, colonial narratives, those narratives of empire. And it's incredibly painful for them to have them wrenched away. But it's the truth, right? Right, It's time time to look really hard at it. Agreed. I mean, there's not really a way around that Mm. or shouldn't be a way around that. Although it sure seems like the truth is kind of up for grabs more than (laughs) it should be. (laughs) Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Yeah. In a really distressing way. And I don't know if any one of us has got a handle on on that uh, and how it works and, and what we do about it, because there does seem to be a very strong contingent who are saying, but I want to believe this. This is the story I choose to believe and and therefore I choose what truth is. And that's, right. is, I don't know if that's new or not. It feels new. I don't, maybe we've always done it and it's now visible, I I just don't know. And I, I can't ever seem to come to terms with it. Yeah, I think it's more public now. Mm. Um, you know, seeing whole factions of and not just a few odd family members who seem like they want to cling to something, yeah. but whole factions of people and, and whole, you know, media outlets, frankly, yeah, clinging yeah. to uh, true, you know, this version that doesn't exist really exist in a, in a sort of childlike way. Like, well, this is what I want. So this is what it is. And it's like, well, n- no, you're an adult. <laughs> so you yeah. actually have to live yeah. in the real world with the rest of us. Yeah. But apparently people don't actually. No, apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We thought they had to, but, but no, no, they no. just carried on. No. Yes, they can. <laughs> but you, you often write about that in the context of being a parent, you know, and, and about what, like how you talk to your children about this stuff and what they bring back to you, these terrible knowledges. And, you know, I was, I'm really moved by the, your poem, Half Staff, about sending children into schools after high school shootings and, and famous, you know, acts of violence in schools and how we are constantly wrestling with you know, the ways that we give our children to the world and how we hold them back from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in in Good Bones, I wrote about not telling my mm. children things. Mm. And, I, and I could do that then because when I wrote that poem, I had a toddler, you know, and a preschooler. Yeah. So it's, it's different now. I mean, I, yeah. I do have to send them into the world, but I'm also sending them into a world that they're much more aware of. Mm. Um, you know, they hear news, they, they're learning things in school, their friends know things. I mean, my, my daughter is going to be a teenager this year. So the, the idea that I could shelter them from things isn't realistic anymore, but it's also, it's also not desirable in a way for me anymore, because again, we have to live in the world as it is not in the world as we wish it were, um, and it yeah. doesn't actually do them any favors to not know the world they live in, yeah. <laughs> to not be able yeah. to see it. And even if you wanted to, you you can't hold it back because it's change, and and that's part of their growing up is their their growing political awareness and their growing right. critical awareness too. And yeah, I I share your instinct for wishing that that my son didn't know about some of the stuff he now knows about, but it's. Yeah a ship that will sail with or without my control over it. And yes, the best I can yeah. do is talk to him about it, I think. Yeah. And having having us be part of that conversation so they're not getting all of their information from some other kid in the classroom yeah, or, yeah. or, you know, from, you know, overhearing a bit of television or or radio or, or whatever, mm. being able to have, you know, sensitive, informed conversations and answer their questions. And and I've been really heartened, honestly. I mean, my, my daughter, you know, is in seventh grade and is so much wiser and more aware and just frankly, more empathetic and a better human than I was when I was in seventh (laughs) grade. (laughs) 
just a better person. You we know? talk and- to them differently, though, don't we? I think anyway, we we talk to them in a very different way. Like I, we don't hold much back, I don't think, anymore. And maybe they grow that critical awareness from knowing more about the world and being able to, you know, like turn it over in their hands and examine it a bit more. I think so. But then that's hard because they, yeah, it's that that kind of conflict. And I like I often think that my son is more innocent than I was over some things. You know, he's Mm. he's like horrified by swearing, which I used to think was, you know, this thing that I wanted to get right into as soon as I could. (laughs) And also, like, I always wanted like a little sip of, you know, whatever alcohol my my parents were having, too. Like, I was always really curious about that. And my son is absolutely like, no, that is wine. I'm not interested in that, you know. And I think, wow, that's that's so different. And I, it's a change that's happening. Like on one hand, there's there's an innocence that that I don't think I had, but on the other hand, there's a knowingness that yeah that I definitely didn't have. I'm I'm really sure that I didn't understand so much about the world. And I, you know, he's less fearful about difference than I was, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that, and how beautiful is that? Oh, it's great. I mean, yeah. he, you know, like he adapted right away to wondering if people, you know, wondering what people's pronouns were. Like I never, I yeah. never had a conversation with him about that. Like that's something that is absolutely instinctive to him and like not assuming people are straight and... One wondering what is racist, like questioning every, like it. It's so we didn't have that. We didn't have the opportunity to think like that. But they have taken to it with no pain whatsoever. It's not hard on them to do that. They're delighted to. It seems. Oh, I agree. My son was playing with a, a sort of wind-up toy the other day. That's a butterfly, and you sort of twist it up and let it go, and it flies and flaps around the room. And I, I said something like, "Oh, you know." Go that that little guy fell under the under the dresser, or whatever. You could go <laughs> grab him, and he goes, "How do you know it's a boy?" And I was like, "I don't know. I just called it a little guy." And he was like, "Maybe, maybe it's maybe we should use they them pronouns because it doesn't. It's not like we know." And he's nine, and I just yeah. thought, you know, that never would have occurred to me. That was not a discussion happening in the eighties when uh-uh, I was his no, age. No. And the fact that they really have seamlessly. You know, yeah. and it's the same thing. They don't mind wearing masks. It's part of what helps keep them safe and their teachers safe and their friends safe yeah. and their grandparents safe. And so I, I think we can learn a lot from looking at, you know, the, the people who kids. are who, kids. Yeah. yeah kids yeah. and teenagers. They're all right. Like, I feel like we're handing we're handing a lot of messes off to them. And I wish they didn't have to clean them up. But I trust them more than I trust people yeah. my age and older to do it. Well, we're clinging to all sorts of, of of things that actually we we don't even like ourselves, and yeah, I I do feel optimistic, and I but I also like I refuse to not feel optimistic. I I, I feel like pessimism is a is a kind of luxury that I don't have. I can't I can't be pessimistic for him. I, there's a there's a UK poet, Selena Godden. I don't know if you you know her, I but do. she has a poem. Yes. Do you? Yeah. Pessimism yeah. is for lightweights, she says, which is just so perfect. Yeah. But I, I also think that like pessimism is something that I can't afford myself. It's it's not something I can wallow in because I've got to make everything as okay for him as I can. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I think I would be probably more comfortable wallowing if I weren't a parent. Yeah. But I can't. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like not just because they can't see it, but because I can't be in that headspace mm. Mm. and and pass hope onto them that I don't have. Like I, I need to be able to create that for myself so that I have a reserve to share yeah. because they frankly, they need it more than most of the other things I have to offer them. Not Definitely. that great at helping with the math homework. I'm a decent <laughs> cook. But the yeah. hope, you know, a sense of optimism, despite all of this madness that they're seeing, that mm. I feel like is my, that's my core job is to make them yeah. feel like it will be okay. Maybe not in an easy way and it will take a lot of work, but that they're, it's redeemable and that mm. there are, you know, there are things that we can do together to make this world yeah. a better place. I'm just taking a pause to let you know about my very exciting new Patreon feed. 
If you love the wintering sessions and would like to help it grow, you can now become a patron. Subscribers will get an exclusive monthly podcast in which I talk about the books, culture and the news that are currently inspiring me. You'll also get the chance to submit questions to my guests in advance of recordings and the answers will go into a special extended edition of the podcast that only patrons receive and a day early too. Plus, you'll get discounts and early booking links to my courses and events and your podcast will always be ad-free. If this sounds like your kind of thing, I have a special offer. The first 30 patrons will be able to join at a discounted rate of $3 a month for life. So do get in early and help to build the community from the foundations. Go to patreon.com forward slash Catherine May or follow the link in my bio to subscribe. And please don't worry if this isn't for you. The regular version of the wintering sessions will still be free and I really appreciate your listens. Now, back to the show. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which leads us neatly to talk about good bones, which I think it would be very hard not to talk about in this context. Yeah. I expect you're, you're probably fairly tired of talking about it, but no. you know, th- well, I mean, this is a poem that that has been caused like that called the the poem of 2016. You know, that's quite a thing to have written something that that people just want to keep and pass on like that, isn't it? It's so strange. I mean, I just, it's the strangest thing because I, I wrote that poem like I write any poem. I mean, I wrote, mm. you know, I, I think my most recent poem was from about two weeks ago. And I don't think anything amazing is going to happen with that poem. Maybe someone will want it. Maybe it'll be published in a journal. Maybe it'll make it into a book at some point. But I just write poems. That's what I do. Yeah. And and so to have to have one that came about in the same way that any other poem comes about mm. take on this life of its own um, and <laughs> travel to places I will never go and meet people yeah. I will never meet and be translated into language I will never be able to read. It, it's, <laughs> it's in some ways that poem's life is a lot more, uh, is a lot wider and more exciting than my own. I'm still here in Ohio. <laughs> Um, but like, what an amazing thing. I mean, it's, it's a complicated thing for me just because the, the poem is shared when terrible things happen. So whenever it's shared, um, I, I, I have like a, a twinge because I'm glad that Mm. people are sharing it because perhaps they get some comfort from it. But at the same time, it it will always be, I think, associated with, you know, suffering in some way. And that for me is a little odd. Mm. And you can kind of get hijacked by it on any given day, I'm guessing, that you can log into your Twitter feed and find something tragic that you're linked to passively, like with yeah. <laughs> through no, yeah. no will of your own. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I've called that poem a disaster barometer because if I if <laughs> oh, I do God. log into my social media and I have tons of mentions, you know, if if my um if my social media mentions are just through the roof. Yeah. And it's because you know of good that bones, something bad something happened. bad has yeah. happened. And so my my first instinct is, okay, what happened? Not like, oh, people are reading something I wrote. It's oh no, mm. what happened? And that's a weird sensation to feel when you're being widely read is oh no, what happened? Yeah. Um, 
It's but a very mixed it is blessing, it is. isn't it, to have a, yeah, a to have written so. something that people lean on in hard times. It, on one hand, like I'm, I, I'm always really, like genuinely happy to help, you know, on a, on a really basic level. But I, I get that same feeling, really, of discomfort sometimes. That, you know, people text me or you know, like send me messages or or, or tag me in to posts when they're at this moment of absolutely terrible loss. And I often feel inadequate in the face of it. You know, what on earth can I say to to that person that I, you know, I I feel like I can only let them down in those moments. And it's yeah, it's a it's a tricky, it's a tricky one. I understand that completely. I think um that happened with me with good bones and continues to happen and it happens all the time with keep moving. Like I was joking yeah. with a friend the other day that I've sort of become like a divorce whisperer somehow. <laughs> I was about to ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the straight, or I mean, and, and not just divorce, but really any big sort of life change when people are going through some big, like, Oh no, what now moment, which because of the pandemic, it's everyone. We're all going through mm, a big mm. life change and a what now moment. I, you know, mail and, and DMs and emails and, you know, being tagged in Instagram posts and tweets and, and it, and it really is, you know, people finding some hope in the words, which is always, it's always pleasing for me to see that. But at the same time, I don't know what to say. No, I know. Like, I'm so, I'm so sorry for your loss or, you know, I'm (laughs) sending love and strength or, I mean, there's just, it's, it feels that sort of like, I don't, I don't want to answer Mm. someone's message with a platitude. Like, yeah. And, and so I, I agree. I always feel inadequate. Like I probably, I shouldn't say anything because they, they already found something and something I'd written that was useful, but I feel like it's terrible to ignore when someone reaches out mm. to say something meant something to them. So yeah. it, it is it is strange. Sometimes I wish I was capable of being a little bit more mysterious, but I'm apparently not. I just have to go in there and like <laughs> <laughs> blunder in and go, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. We're in that together. <laughs> you want to be nice. But yeah, I mean, let's let's talk a bit about keep moving because I love the idea of you as a divorce whisperer. I, I do have a friend <laughs> who is a divorce lawyer. And funnily enough, she passes on good bones to her new clients. She doesn't pass on keep moving. But oh, I did thrust so it into her. Well, I don't think she knew about it. So I have I've now thrust it into her hands to say, I think there's something a bit more appropriate, actually. <laughs> so writing about a divorce, I mean, you don't write about it in detail. You know, you don't write about the arguments and the comings and goings. And, you know, I, I, I fully respect that. But I, I wonder what it's like airing that particular kind of laundry, because there's a lot of hope and promise that gets lost when a relationship breaks down and a, and a lot of kind of public facing, uh, you know, polish, I think, maybe that you have to let go of to say, OK, yeah. well, actually, this wasn't working. Yeah. How did it feel to write about that? It, it felt really vulnerable. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've, until that book, I'd only published books of poems. And in a poem, even if it's in first person, even if there's an I in yeah. a poem, and even if it's relatively close to you as the poet, mm. there's still some sort of artistic distance between the yeah. I in the poem and you. And, and even, even then, sometimes I would write a poem in third person. And I would, I would ascribe to this she things that I was processing or going through Mm. in my own life as a way to sort of hold things at arm's length and not have to come out and say, this happened to me, or this is something I Maggie am struggling with. No, it's in a poem. It's not me. And so Mm. to write, to write personal essays and to to go on social media also and just say, okay, so this is just me. There's no speaker of a poem. Yeah. There's no metaphor. There's no persona. There's no, this is a, no, 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 it's Persephone. It's, it's told through this <laughs> other myth, you know? I mean, I've been doing that for years, you know, finding ways to sort of like have a little bit of cover and mm. what I was saying and both with keep moving and actually even in goldenrod, I've dropped persona completely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's I very dropped direct. third person. Yeah. It's very direct. And I, I think yeah. in some ways, you know, 
writing those books basically at the same time, an overlapping time, you know, one gave me the the courage to write the other and vice versa. Mm. And do, but, you, yeah. do you think you'll ever do that again? Or have you put yourself off of writing like prose in such a direct way? No, I think I'll do it again. Um, mm. it's, it's addictive, isn't it, in a weird it way? It is. And, and, in a, in a, you know, I, it's a challenge too. And as a writer, I, I'm always going to, I think, feel most comfortable in, in poems. That's sort of mm. my home genre. But also genre, when I think about it, is really sort of a construct made so that people know how to sell books and shelve books. Yeah. Um, yeah. And most, uh, some of the books I love best are sort of like half poetry, half nonfiction, <laughs> mm. half, mm. you know, something else. Um, and so I, I like as a writer, just pushing myself and challenging myself. I would like to try all different kinds of things because I, I think really most of the time the content sort of requests the form or requests yeah. the container that is best for it. And mm. Keep Moving couldn't have been a collection of poems. It just, I couldn't tell those stories. No, um, no. I couldn't process it, it in verse. It just wouldn't have worked. Mm. Um, but I think that's, so, that's the yeah. charm of it, isn't it? Like the directness. I mean, I know I know their notes to self and their ways of you talking to yourself to help you get through, you know, what was obviously a devastatingly awful time. But at the same time, I think that, you know, as a reader, that feels like you're urging me directly on. You're like saying, right, okay, come on then, you know, <laughs> yep, this is awful. What are we going to do next? What what now? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think part of that is that it's, I was talking to myself. So it's all written in second, all of those quotes at least are written in second person. Mm, so mm. that, you know, and I didn't even really say until until further in that the you and all of those quotes is me. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of pep talking myself through this <laughs> yeah. really dark time. And there was like an element to sort of fake it till you make it of mm. that, where in the very beginning, I'm not sure I felt very hopeful or felt that that when something burns down, oh, there's also a space there where something new can be built. But yeah. I was like grasping for those metaphors and grasping for those feelings because I I just believed somewhere deep inside that if I told myself a different kind of story about my life, eventually I would get to that place, mm. you know, organically and authentically. And it worked, which yeah. surprised no one more than me. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, I'm very glad it did. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about kind of doing positive, like positive is an action. It's a, I mean, it's definitely a choice, but it's also something that you perform, I guess, until it sticks. Yeah. And I mean, and now later having, having done sort of those daily posts every day, not knowing mm. really what I was doing and just knowing that it made me feel better. Then later I realized, oh, there's actually science behind that. There's science behind repetitive, positive right. action, actually yeah. rewiring your brain to be more hopeful. Mm. So I, I sort of stumbled into something real on accident, you know, and writing too. There's there's science behind not typing, but writing, like physically, you know, pen or pencil to paper. Yeah. That you, you know, sort of process things more deeply, hold on and retain things in a different way when you're writing physically. Yeah. And and so all it, it's funny, like finding out like, oh, I was on to something with some of these things. Although I <laughs> I was really just sort of flailing in the dark, you know, feeling along the wall in the dark room for a light switch, just hoping, yeah. hoping to hit plastic at some point. And there it was. <laughs> but I mean, sometimes that's the way that we make our best leaps, I think, is to just practice, just to keep doing a thing, like whatever that thing is for you, you just keep doing it and trying to find what your gut's telling you because I, I think it sometimes takes a long time to even know what your gut's telling you if you've you know if you're in a in a kind of flailing state and yeah. like slowly slowly you begin to glimpse things right and following the feeling I mean that yeah. for me was always like what feels good like mm. does running feel good then I'm going to do more of that does writing feel good then I'm going to do more of that like what 
especially in a time where I felt like I was losing a huge part of my identity and my, my narrative, like what could I do today that makes me feel like me, not Mm. me, somebody's wife, not even me, somebody's mother, not me in relationship to all of these other pieces, but just at a core level, me. And if it's, you know, taking a long walk or writing or, you know, dancing like crazy by yourself in your kitchen with music turned up that you love, (laughs) whatever that thing is, like follow the feeling because Mm. you can't intellectualize that, you know, that you just know. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the route back into self really, or to find a new self that maybe you've never been allowed to have before. And that's the, that's the great gift of those moments. And talk to me a bit about about the seasons and, and what they mean to you, because actually they, they it comes into your poetry a lot, doesn't it? The the kind of shifts in the year, but also there's this real sense of movement in keep moving. I mean, like obviously, but um, you know, there's a sense of time as a as a as a sort of healing track, really. Yeah, I mean, I, part of it was that uh, you know my my marriage ended and things really got hard in the fall, and right. I remember walking around and seeing the leaves change and seeing all this beautiful color. And it struck me that all of this beauty is actually coming from decay. Mm. You know, like this is all, it's like, it's sort of a death, but look how gorgeous this decay is. And so think trying to sort of, again, reframe change for me. And then, and then, you know, a couple months later in the middle of the most difficult winter, literally the most difficult winter I've ever had Mm. and looking up and seeing all these bare trees with no leaves and realizing, but look how much sky I get to see now. Like, look at the view through all of these bare branches. Maybe there's something to that too. Like maybe, Maybe there's something to that. And mm. and what's mm. going on underneath the ground? Like stuff is waiting to come really back out. Really good stuff. <laughs> right? Really good things. And so everything that everything that we celebrate in spring started mm. in winter. Like that stuff's just been waiting to come out. And so just, you know, reframing things for myself and and I think I I think really seasonally because I live in a place where the four seasons are very distinct. Yeah. And I spend a lot of time looking out the windows because my writing desk is is in a room completely surrounded in, in windows. It's all windows. Right. And I spend a lot of time walking in my neighborhood, walking my kids to school and back, walking my dog. So I'm I'm looking at trees and sky all the time. And I don't I don't really know how it, it just the metaphors are always just right there for the for the picking. <laughs> Thank They're goodness. Offering themselves to you like low hanging fruit. <laughs> exactly. I don't even have to search. It's just the stuff's just right there. Thank goodness. <laughs> Oh, well, Maggie, it's been amazing to talk to you. And thank you so much for sharing so much so generously. I'll put loads of notes in the in the show notes where people can connect up to you and find you. And I'm sure they'll be delighted to come and find you if they've not met you already. But yeah, just a thank you. Your your work has given so much to me and so much to loads of other people. And I'm really glad you decided to chat to me today. Oh, no, thank you. I'm such a fan. And this has been a real treat. Ah, lovely. It amazes me, even at this time of year, that there are the last few leaves still clinging to the trees. Every gust of wind and a few more fall down. And of course, as I wrote about in wintering, now that the trees are bare, and if you look closely, there's a bud at the end of every little branch and twig. I never knew they were there until I did my research for wintering. And now it really thrills me to see it every time. The tree's already, already. It's really busy at this time of year, doing all the hard work in the woodland. Love to see it. But I also love those amazing, stark lines that the trees make against the sky. It's a pure white sky at the moment. And the trees are reaching up against the whiteness, making these perfect silhouettes. Reminding me of capillaries. 
one of my favourite sights of the year, let alone of winter. And you can really see that uh, crown separation happening, the idea that the trees avoid each other just by a little margin so that you get, rather than trees kind of intermingling their branches at the top as you might expect them to, just politely keeping their own personal space and every time the wind blows they sway just a little they're not creaking it's okay oh, won't be long until they're in bud no i just said they're in bud yeah. won't be long until they're in leaf and it all starts again but for now it's okay I just want to say thank you so much to Maggie Smith for being a brilliant guest. I loved talking to her. I love it that, you know, this age of Zoom allows me to talk to anyone around the world on my podcast. But also I quite often feel a little bit sad that we're not having a cup of tea together. There are benefits and drawbacks. Maybe one day, eh? If you enjoyed that please do take a look in the show notes there are links to maggie's books and her social media presences as we all have now so do check them out she's really worth checking down and thank you to the patrons on my patreon who are making this possible i think i'm getting used to the language now patrons patreon i hope that's right such a weird turn of phrase somehow but thank you it's been really brilliant meeting the first beginnings of this community which I hope will grow and it really supports this little podcast which I very much enjoy doing as you might be able to tell and thank you to my producer Buddy Peace composer of the theme tune very talented human being all round do check him out he does lots of really interesting things and thank you to Megan Hutchins, who supports me and the podcast wonderfully, always. And thank you to you, dear listener, for putting up with my ramblings while I walk through the woods with an increasingly muddy dog. I'll see you all really soon, back in a couple of weeks. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.